Welcome to the Reach In, Reach Out podcast, a proud production of Engage Cooperative. Pierce County, like many other counties throughout the U.S., struggles to provide low-income families with one key service, healthcare. But there is one organization that's trying to fix this. I can still find people out there state that they didn't know there was a clinic that can help those that don't have health insurance. I think it has a lot to do with uh, not enough uh, information out there. Low-income families don't have access to traditional health care, which causes many serious issues for them and the communities they live within, either because they don't think that there are services for them or feel uncertain about receiving those services, they often ignore health problems. Problems that tear families apart, cause people to lose their jobs, and start dangerous outbreaks. There is a solution, community health care, but of course, there's a problem. People just don't know about them. We need to raise awareness about the organization and convince people that it is worth receiving and helping provide these services. This is our way of doing that. This is Reach In, Reach Out. I'm your host, Logan Roselle, bringing you solutions to some of Pierce County's core problems, supported by the words of those in our community. First, let's introduce what community health is and how it started. Community health care became an established nonprofit in 1969, seeking to provide medical and dental for low-income families in Pierce County. There have been issues in its past regarding funding, but despite all this, they still provide service today. World War II, the port of Tacoma was filled with ships, people working on the war effort. So they built all this temporary housing in East Tacoma to house those people. At the end of the war, that temporary housing became low-income housing. And that's where people with Section 8 housing vouchers, although there are other places now, that's where they lived. And there was an elementary school, and we ran a volunteer clinic. Dr. Canberra would show up with his wife and his son, who was in high school, and he would sort charts, and they would provide care to patients. The other clinic was in the basement of the nurses' convent at St. Joe's Hospital, because back in 1969, all the nuns were nurses, or all the nurses were nuns, and they had a dormitory for them, and in the basement, there was, they started a clinic. And we ran like that for about 10 years. And then we became part of the health department under what was Model Cities funding. And we ran like that for about 10 years. And then in 19, late 80s, about 87, we became a standalone 501c3 under the um, federal um, health, federally qualified health center act. But the federally qualified health center act actually started in 1969 and it came out of the civil rights movement with a focus not to necessarily health care, but to lift people out of poverty. Right. Because if you can't work, if you don't feel well, you can't work. Well, and the war on poverty started right near then, too. Yeah, and now the civil rights unrest and movement of all that. So that's how we came about. In fact, this year now we're celebrating our 50th anniversary. As we can see from community healthcare's history, its genuine passion and new perspective really set it apart as not just a community healthcare provider, but as a healthcare provider in general. In fact, we can see from community healthcare's history that not only was it founded out of genuine compassion, but also a new perspective on healthcare. 
community healthcare built its reputation by turning against the classic healthcare ideology. And there is a lot of room to grow. Your typical medical services suffer from delays, ignore preventative measures, have high costs of treatment, and silo their different services, things like mental health, physical health, and dental health. Community healthcare is actually kind of a misnomer. When people tend to think of, like, let's say, free clinics, clinics for the, uh, the low income, they think of worse services, you know, the, the failing of the medical establishment. Actually, community healthcare uh, innovates in all of these areas that I've just mentioned. They, com- they combine all of their services. They have really uh, high-quality uh, facilities, and they, they've reduced their treatment costs dramatically. So overall, the medical experience is, can actually be uh, significantly better at these cheaper clinics. And clearly what community healthcare has been providing is working, because I am proud to report that there are five medical and behavioral health clinics, four dental clinics, and four pharmacy locations throughout Pierce County that serve over 45,000 patients annually. Now that's not your average healthcare clinic. So right now we have grown from those beginnings. Now we have five medical clinics, four dental clinics, and we um, take care of about 45,000 patients a year through about 164,000 patient visits, deliver about 350 babies a year, but not in the clinics. We do it at the local hospital. Although it wouldn't surprise me if we've had some delivered in clinics, but that's never <laughs> the plan. Yet. Very close, but not yet. Community health care has just as much relevance today as in years prior, if not more. We at Engage have decided to create this episode to spread awareness of community health care so that more people can make use of this critical service. To recap, across Pierce County, over 45,000 patients each year are served at 13 community health locations, made up of four pharmacies, four dental clinics, and five medical and behavioral clinics. Only 7% of the nonprofit's income is made up of donations. Most of it actually comes from working with patients' insurance providers. This makes up 83% of the clinic's income. The clinics also offer insurance experts and consultants to help patients get insured. Of course, insurance plays a big part of the whole system. While those making $29,000 per year and less are completely covered um, under the the title of low income to receive these healthcare facilities um, to use them, there are a lot of people that make slightly more than this, let's say $40,000 a year, that still do not appear to be covered. Now, we would recommend that even if you think you make a little bit too much, but you definitely have a need to still go and speak with the uh, health insurance representatives at a community health care, and they might actually be able to do something for you. So just because you think you make a little bit too much to qualify as low income doesn't mean you're recused from receiving these services. Now we'll discuss the practical aspects of community health care, the things that you should consider for your family. We'll break down which attributes you should be looking at based on which primary need you are experiencing. Disease-based services are offered. They treat patients and provide vaccines. These services are also an opportunity to get serious help and allow for checkups for illnesses that might not just be a small cold. Surgeries and regular checkups form the second primary service. 
and these are offered for longer periods of time. Um, we have residency programs here as well for doctors, dentists, not in this building, but at our Hilltop Clinic. Uh, doctors, dentists, pharmacists, nurse practitioners. Okay. And, and, and yeah, nurse practitioners, pharmacists, doctors, four of them. And what's really neat about that is that, and there are other residencies in community health centers, and what's really neat is it teaches residents about community health, as opposed to being in the hospital where you learn, you see a very different side of the world in the hospital than you do providing primary care at a fairly qualified health center. Because one thing is since we take all patients, uh, you see a really different segment of the population. We have people that are unfortunately living in cardboard boxes. We have people that are well-to-do. We have, we provide care in primarily Spanish and Russian. We just have a big influx of Vietnamese patients that we're working to serve, but we also have other languages. We have, I think it's about 40 different languages that we provide care in. Wow. You know, if you're like, I grew up on, I live over in South Hill, I took my kids to the doctor. The doctor there is gonna see the same kind of kid with the same kind of disease and just crank them through. Oh yeah, this is going through the population. Right. And you're gonna see a very different population and deal with a lot of different things. And that's what I think, one thing that's really neat about the residency is that it provides confidence to residents to meet those patients because, you know, everybody needs health care. The providers at community health care also engage in community leadership. They redefine the physician-patient relationship and in some cases even serve as almost an extension of the family that the people they treat. This is a truly inspiring story. Not only is community health care bringing a much-needed physical service, to those in the, in, in the community, especially those of low income, but it's also improving the culture of the area. It's making people see themselves in a new light, value each other more, and connect. When we spoke to uh, one of the physicians at a local community health care center, we found uh, a truly inspiring story about how this person has built a relationship uh, and not only an impact on the health of, of her patients, but also on the social life uh, and, and the value that these patients saw in each other. I'm Sandra Warner, and I'm a family physician. This is my second career in medicine. I started as an OBGYN in Brazil, cool. moved to the United States, have to do residency again, so I don't want to do the same residency again. Right. So I went into a different field, but the field where I could still practice obstetrics and gynecology. So is a asset for me that I have so much knowledge in another specialty that right. is a surgical specialty. So it fits me very well. Um, and I think the patients also appreciate that they don't need to go to many places to do things that I can do. So. Um, yeah, I'm really happy with this combination, and uh, I finished my last residency in 2004, Ooh. so it's already 15 years doing family practice, and family practice these days do from zero to 100, the whole schmear. Since I do OB2, I do from before 
birth until I have uh, families that I have four generations. Very Either cool. Great grandma, the grandma, the mother and father, and the kids, and so is us. I know everybody. Yeah. Yeah, they huh. cousins and friends. <laughs> so, knowing um, knowing so many people and like the whole family, right? How do you see the impact of your work on that family? Uh, it's, it's, it's a friendship. You know, it's, uh, I think, increases the trust and the confidence of the patient on me and also makes me feel free to discuss things like compliance with medications. Right. I know who takes the medication <laughs> and who doesn't. But some people, you tell them and they feel offended. Right. Uh, this one, you know, when it's a family, the whole family, they just call me and say, you know, I'm not taking. <laughs> so it's just like, okay, let's see what we can do with that. Well, that's that's really good to hear, because um, like most medical, yeah. you know, relationships, professional relationships you have with your doctor, they um, they're very they're very stiff, right? Uh -huh. You're like, yes. have you been taking your meds? Yeah. Oh yeah, I have. Yeah. First, <laughs> first, I'm not stiff, right. and um, it bothers some people that I feel very intimate to them. Right. Well, yeah. doesn't bother me, and I get all the answers because I'm relentless asking <laughs> and how like what's so what's the benefit that you get um having that that strong relationship with the people that you work with um you can kind of nudge them hey you should really you should really stick to that that diet or you should really take that medication right um what's the benefit that you see with that versus you know a doctor that you see once twice a year that you you don't have a relationship with yeah well i i, I believe that when you hear from that doctor over and over again on your family, you know? And I send messages to them like, did he stop smoking already? <laughs> yeah. Ask, say that I ask right. if he has stopped smoking. Uh, and, and things like that, I can impact patients without them coming here. I can send them messages, ask questions, send messages needs to come, you know? So, um, it, it gets much more intimate. Yeah. yeah. Now, we have one last point to mention, and it is perhaps the most crucial. What can we do? Here are some remarks from Community Healthcare's Dental Director, Jeff Reynolds, and CEO, David Flint. I think, I think being involved, specifically you know, in this endeavor with the school-based program, is gonna take the community to be involved and make it successful. Uh, naturally, the parents are going to have to be on board, and they can certainly do that by, by supporting their children, being able to, giving consent for their children to be seen, right. and allowing us to take care of them, which is a big deal, and trying to get all the parents in, to, to be on board with it and saying, hey, yeah, I want my child to be taken care of there. Uh, I think also community leaders, uh, because my vision would be that every school in the county have a school-based health clinic. Every school in the state have a school-based health clinic because uh, the effectiveness of this is, is, is there's too much, too much statistics to show how successful this thing is and how much it does help kids that can't get access to care. Uh, so I think definitely from the community groups to, to, and we've got a fantastic superintendent down there who 
who's on board with this all the way. As a matter of fact, I, I think he and the school board debate sometimes on who started it mm-hmm. and who who's part the most. But I, I do think the community support down there is, is great for this. But I think down to the grassroots is the parents who need to be involved in the program. We certainly want to integrate into the school. And we want to be a part of everything that school does, including uh, the safety programs, health programs, behavioral health, all those kind of things that that, uh, the school is endeavoring to do. We want to be a part of that. So we're we're striving to be in that school district and for the end of the year, them to say we need community health care in our schools. But it's going to take parents and and community to be involved. Right. Volunteers help. Uh, right now in the school-based sealant program, we have volunteers who come in and, and go to the classrooms and get the kids and escort them to the to the clinic. Those are the kind of things that could help inside the clinics once we get started and, and open. So volunteers are, are a big deal. Yeah. So as CEO, you most of your job is going to be laying down the vision, hopefully, for where you're going next, right? Um, how do you wish that the community would support that vision and also what is that vision for you? So double prong question. All right. Um, well, I think there are a number of things that um, ordinary citizens, um, as you say, um, should do. I think educating the public about um, the benefits of good oral health services, um, hopefully try to um, um, help them learn that they don't need to be afraid, uh, that there are ways to provide care that don't create uh, anxiety and pain. Um, In our system, our um, dental team works very closely with our behavioral health team. So if there are folks who have had experiences in their past that cause them to be anxious, we can hopefully work with those patients ahead of time and figure out a way to deal with those concerns and anxieties. Um, Some people have had um, negative experiences. Most people, those negative experiences were caused by themselves, you know, uh, but um, we want to make sure that when a a patient sits in our chair that they're not going to be feeling anxious because that's going to make it, if that is the case, it's going to be harder to keep them from getting more anxious. Right. So I think that's important. Um, But the other thing is to have people involved who are similar or, or um, have um, backgrounds that are very similar with the, with the patients in the community. So I, I think Dr. Reynolds mentioned the volunteers who help as runners, you know, that they um, escort the kids um, from the, where they are in the school to the dental chair, introduce them to the dentist. Those are things that can be helpful. And if those um, volunteer runners are, in fact, um, known to the patients, or they know that they're like them. Right. That'll that'll make it easier. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I would say, I'm I'm jumping a little bit broader, but um, as a nonprofit agency, we use um, patients uh, and community citizens who aren't patients um, as board members. Right. Uh, as a nonprofit. Um, I report to volunteer board, and so they are uh, community members who care about the broader community and who are willing to give of their time to sit on either the board of directors or a committee of the board of directors to help govern our organization 
and make sure that we do the best job we can of promoting improved access and improved quality right. for the patients that we serve. And improved access includes, again, going to where the uh, patients are and live, which is one reason why we want to use the schools when we're talking about kids and dental. Um, but it also makes it available and uh, you know, accessible for adults, too. Uh, so what we want to do is have programs that are made known to the entire community. Um, and again, hopefully what that means is then they'll be, um, they will access those services. Yeah, and so we've actually heard from uh, Russ uh, down at the Spanaway Clinic when we were interviewing down there. He talked uh, a little bit about the community board, I mean, over, over half being volunteers. I think mm -hmm. that's, that's really cool, and it sounds like you guys are very proud of that. Yes. I think you should be. Um, could you talk a little bit more about how that, what is, like, what is the interaction there? How do people join the board? Um, you being, you know, uh, responsible f to the board, uh, how does that go down? Well, um, you, that is a, the most important concept, is that I, who is the, you know, theoretically the staff member who directs the activities of all of the other uh, staff, um, I report to the board of directors. And over half of them are patients. So they're going to care about every single decision that gets made. Uh, every policy, every choice that gets made by the organization at a policy level is made by folks who care about the community, including um, patients of the system. So we don't just make decisions uh, accidentally. They're very carefully thought out. And they're thought out so that the uh, impact on the patients will be of most benefit to them. So um, if we're talking about are we going to locate a center or a program in a particular place, they're there at the table making that decision. So it's not just professionals. We work together, professionals and volunteers, uh, but it's ultimately the volunteers who make those kinds of important stewardship decisions. Um, and I think it works very well. And yes, as you say, I'm very proud of that, um, to have a, a group of people be my boss, as it were, who really care about what happens. And so, you know, I, I care about what happens, but even if I didn't, I would have to pay attention and do what they what they wanted us to do. And the other thing I would say is that, by and large, all of the staff of community healthcare are very mission-driven and mission-oriented. Um, people are here not because um, this is a part of their career path or because they're gonna make a lot of money. They're here because they care about the community. They care about the individual patients. And they think that within this system, they can have the best impact on the individuals in the community who, as I said before, have the greatest needs. Right. There are various ways you can help community health care. Tell anyone you know about the service. Even if they don't need care right now, they will at some point. This is the kind of opportunity that no one should miss out on. No one should be anxious because community healthcare does a fantastic job of creating a low-stress environment for every patient. Please, try to get those people you know to consider going. If you want to do more, there are, of course, other ways of getting involved. You could volunteer to chaperone kids in and out of school to participate in the aforementioned sealant program. Just helping bring others into the clinics is valuable on its own.
or you could become a part of the Board of Community Healthcare itself. Lastly, we'd engage deeply value and promote groups such as Community Healthcare because they are the invisible pillar of our community. Our mission is to make visible the unique opportunities people have to engage with their life and others around them. We want to show people how to enjoy community. If we can just do that, we can make this area a much better place. We're looking forward to our next podcast with more information about important issues in our community. Once again, I'm Logan Roselle, and this has been Reach In, Reach Out.